You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, November 17th, and after Tuesday's news that Justin Fuente and the Virginia Tech football program have mutually agreed to part ways, we will be spending episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast primarily on the football program. We'll look at what happened with Justin Fuente in his six-year career with Virginia Tech, where things went wrong, and some possible replacements for Fuente at Virginia Tech. Oh, and the Hokies also play this weekend, so we'll also talk a little bit about the matchup with Miami on Saturday. All of that and much more coming up on episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome you into episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, however you are taking it in, whether that's audio archived on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or if you're watching on our YouTube channel, if you're watching archived, please leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the Tech Sideline YouTube channel, and if you are live in the stream, please leave a comment or question for Will and Chris, I'm sure there'll be plenty of them today, and we'll get to those with Katie at the end of the show. As always, the Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Virginia Tech Wrestling starting their season this weekend. Two matches against Ohio State and Gardner-Webb. You can help bring Olympic hopeful athletes to Blacksburg and one of the best and fastest growing programs in the country. Go to southeastrtc.com to learn more and donate today. We have our usual Wednesday crew on set today. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com across the way. Lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman to my left. Behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land. In the fourth chair today, it is Katie Adams again. She will have her segment in the middle of the show and then get to our YouTube questions at the end. And I am your host, Jake Lyman. We've got a lot to talk about today, obviously, with the news from yesterday. But first, I want to pass it off to Will. He has some housekeeping to do, I believe. This is going to sound like an angry rant. <laughs> it's not really. It's basically a marketing opportunity. So uh, uh, we did our podcast Monday. Uh, got word Tuesday morning. 7.30 or so that uh, Puente had, you know, will say the language they use, they mutually agreed to part ways. Um, and so uh, this morning, I think it was this morning. I, I checked it was this morning. It was, it was probably morning. around 10 a.m. Probably about 10 a.m. Somebody posted on our last podcast video, shame on tech sideline, head coach gets fired on Tuesday and no emergency podcast. So uh, first of all, them them's fighting words. <laughs> You, uh, you young people, have you ever heard that expression, that Southern expression, them's fighting words? Uh, but, but really, after, after thinking about it, it, it occurred to me. Um, and I actually typed this up, so I'm more or less going to read it. Um, so, so if all you do is consume our podcast, either audio or video, 
Um, you may not be aware that Tech Sideline is a 25-year-old media organization um, with four full-time employees. Um, I guess there's people out there that think this is our hobby. You know, it's <laughs> it's not. We have four full-time employees: Chris, me, David Cunningham, and Malcolm. And uh, our bread and butter is our website, TechSideline.com, which has existed since 1996 when I started it. So yesterday on TechSideline.com, we ran five articles total, totaling about 12,000 words. And that in, that's a lot to read, yes. And that included a 5,800-word transcript of the uh, uh, press conference, conference that, that Whit Babcock did. And, and David helped transcribe that also thanks to Andy Bitter, Mike Nazielek, Aaron McFarling, and David Teal. They didn't do it for us. They just that's what the reporters do. They get together for those long press conferences and they they divvy it up and transcribe it. So I wanted to give those guys credit for you know being part of that. So if you're listening to or watching the podcast, there's a whole nother world of content that you know that we produce that you are missing out on if that's the only way you're consuming us. We run hundreds of articles a year. We rack up close to 50 million page views a year on the website, and we get over a thousand posts a day on our message boards. A day like yesterday, several thousand posts on our message boards. We have a dozen message boards, subscriber boards, ticket boards, football, basketball, women's basketball, Olympic sports, wrestling, etc. So come over and look at the website. If all you're doing is listening and watching, come over and look at the website and I've said this many times before. We, when I say it's our bread and butter, it, it means we have subscription content over there. That's how we make our money. These four guys that are full time, we don't make our money off of the podcast. Which we don't gets, make any money off the podcast, <laughs> which gets like three or four thousand audio downloads and two thousand YouTube views. That's not enough to support four full time salaries. So it happens over on the website. Um, so come over, try the monthly subscription. It's free for the first month. And trust me, you're going to love it. You're not going to cancel. But if you want to cancel, you can cancel at any time. So, so when a day like yesterday happens, our reaction is not to drop what we're doing and go do an emergency podcast. We have to cater to what is known in, in the business world as our core business. You know, so that's where we were all day yesterday. So we go to we had to go to, uh, what have I got written down here? Da, 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 da. We attended the press conference. We produced written content for our paid subscribers. Again, five pieces. We have to tend to thousands of message board posts in, in a day like that. The, the boards just scroll. And we try to keep them under control and that sort of thing. Don't, don't get me wrong. We love the podcast. We love doing it. Uh, you know, it opens us up to people that otherwise might not ever see us. And it's an important part of what we do, but it's not all that we are by far so to wag your finger at us and say shame on you you're not seeing the whole picture so again it sounds like a quasi angry rant but it's really a, a marketing opportunity and an opportunity to educate people on what we do chris and i face like i've been doing tech sideline full time since as a paid employee since 1999 and i own the business i hired chris in 2005 and Chris would go out and tell people, they're like, oh, what do you do for a living? And Chris would say, I'll work for Tech Sideline. Oh, you're a blogger. You know, <laughs> what do you really do? No, no, we've been doing this stuff full time for many, many years. So that's kind of the whole picture. I know everybody's here to listen about Fuente, so let me cut myself off and uh, let's get to it. Well, I appreciate you turning the possible negative comment there into a positive. <laughs> Definitely go check out the uh, the articles from yesterday. Chris, Will, and David all had articles up and then the full transcription uh, of Whit Babcock's press conference. 
But it is time to talk about Justin Fuente. Yeah. We knew this podcast was most likely coming. I think it came about two weeks earlier than we expected. Uh, but Justin Fuente is no longer the head coach at Virginia Tech. It came yesterday morning at about 7.45 a.m. Kind of caught everybody off guard. How much did this surprise you guys? Uh, surprising. I was actually in my kitchen. I just put my bacon on the oven top. <laughs> yep. And then the news came in. And I got so busy yesterday that I ran out of bacon yesterday and then forgot to go to the store. So when I went up, woke up this morning to eat breakfast, I had no bacon. No bacon. This is like the first time in weeks I haven't eaten bacon. All because of that. But anyway. So uh, what do you do when there's no bacon? Oh, I had to improvise. <laughs> yeah. I had some ham and some fruit. <laughs> not it, quite bacon. Not quite bacon. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, di I didn't think it was going to happen during the season. How did uh, you find out about it? Because I'll tell the story how, how I found out. How did you find out? How did I find out about it? Um, I found out about it uh, when I looked at my phone after I put my bacon on the oven top and I saw I had about seven text messages. Oh, right. like, oh that's not common for eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I came out of the shower and looked at my phone, and a buddy of mine had texted me, and he said, is there an announcement today? And I said, no, probably not till after the UVA game. And then I went and read the next text message, and it, message, and it was like, I think what it said was, holy cow, he's out. And that's when I knew to go to Hokie Sports and go to Twitter and all that stuff. So Yeah, I woke up right around 8.30 yesterday, and I got two or three texts, and I saw a Bleacher Report notification, Justin Fuente out as head coach, and... Caught me completely off guard. Uh, did not think that was going to happen, especially after he had his weekly press conference Monday, and then less than 24 hours later, he's gone. Yeah. Um, I th honestly, I mean, I think this was weeks in the making. Uh, right. I, I, I was convinced before the Georgia Tech game that it was definitely going to happen. And I think the, the, I think the last few weeks were spent negotiating the buyout down. Instead of $10 million, it's $8.75 million. And, and I think that's what, what ended up uh, I think that's why the process got drawn out as, as long as it did um, so let's let's drill down on the buyout real quick because that, that's a question people have you know everybody knows that the buyout was uh, 10 million dollars a year and on December 15th it was supposed to drop to 10 million dollars a year 10 million dollars yep. and on December 15th it was supposed to drop to seven and a half million dollars now it's my perception that that was whichever one of those occurred it was going to be paid at two and a half million a year for three years or four years. Mm -hmm. Is that is that your... I honestly don't, I don't know. I didn't pay know. attention to that part. I just paid attention to the overall part. So, well, what's not clear is like where it comes from. I assume he's got some boosters lined up that are going to pay. So Witt said yesterday that they, they negotiated it down to the split between those two, which is $8.75 million, And I think it was Mike Nizialek asked him, are you going to pay that as a lump sum or what? And I think, it, it, you know, so I remember David's not Mike'd, but David... Um, wasn't didn't Witt kind of he there's mind's not fully made up on that yeah so he was leaning Don't, lump sum yeah. and as to the question of where that's going to come from it was some donors are stepping up he actually mentioned financing um so maybe taking out some sort of loan and so you know you, you negotiate these things down with the promise of paying them as a lump sum you know that that's part of why the recipient agrees to take less money so anyway well, well, on the timing of this, again, negotiating the buyout down, but do you think it could be on either side? Maybe Fuente wanted to get a head start, find his next job, or maybe Witt had maybe had a candidate in mind that he didn't want to let slip away? I think uh, I think there's two ways to look at it, and I think it's both of those things. I, I think Fuente, if, 
it gives you time to get back out there and judge the job market and see who's interested in you if you're out right now. And from Witt's perspective, if he's been talking to candidates, you know, behind the scenes, as I expect he's put the feelers out, you know, some of the responses he could have gotten was, you know, okay, yeah, I'm interested, but what if Virginia Tech wins out and you end up keeping Justin Fuente? I don't want to have, I don't want to go deep into these conversations unless I know he's going to be out because I've got two other schools talking to me and their coach is already out. So uh, I think that that could have had something to do with it as well. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm also betting that if Witt is having conversations that he started to feel confident enough about them that he could definitively make the move. Because remember, one of the things we've said is that as, as, as toxic as the situation had gotten, if you're Witt, you really only make the move if you're confident you can get a guy that, uh, that you feel can turn things around, do a better job, et cetera. And, and if he's having conversations, and he's probably reached that point and felt it was the time to go ahead and, and pull the plug. Well, we're going to go through some of the main candidates later on in the podcast. I have about 10 names written down that I want to get your guys' thoughts on. That'll come in the second half of the podcast. But I just want to look back on kind of the end of this Justin Fuente era. It seemed like this was in the cards for a while now. Again, Chris, you mentioned it doesn't happen very often when an athletic director has to have a press conference saying that he's retaining his head coach. Uh, So it seemed like it was in the cards for a while. Where do you think the the final nail in the coffin was at the end of this thing? You know, I I would probably say once they blew a double, once they blew a two-score lead against Notre Dame, and you knew what was going to happen the next week against Pitt because Pitt was just a bad matchup for Tech. Um so I'm, you're sitting there thinking, okay, we're three and one going into Notre Dame, and we have to win this one because we're going to lose to Pitt next week. At least that was my thinking. So when Tech lost to Notre Dame, I think that's when I I realized, yeah, th- this is not going to happen. This is over. That's that's just how I viewed it. Yeah, I think you know they're they're. I, I thought that Witt and Justin handled the off season very well, and they set expectations. They. Uh, they were positive about the players and, and got the fans excited about the season and kind of tried to get over the end of the season last year. Mm-hmm. And a press conference that Witt himself admitted was kind of awkward and not well done. Um, he, that's, I thought that was very refreshing to hear him basically say that yesterday. Like, yeah, I didn't do all that great a job of that press conference at the end of last year. So then you, you beat UNC, great. You beat Middle Tennessee. And you lose at WVU because you can't score in the red zone and you could feel the frustration level start to build you beat richmond just 21 to 10 and then then you lose to notre dame when you really kind of had the game in hand mm-hmm. and uh i think that's when i like you said i think that's when i really felt it turn and then Pitt just got ugly after that and and there was no doubt about it after that the pit game when it was 21 nothing at halftime and i just watched the student section clear out that's MPL. kind of when it, it felt like it was over um, but this is a Justin Fuente era that it started on such a high note. I think when he was hired to replace Frank Beamer, most people, if not everybody, thought that was the right hire to make at the time. Yeah. He takes Tech to a 10-win season and an ACC Coastal Championship in his first year. It seemed like everything was going in the right direction. It just never kind of it was all downhill from that first year. Yeah, um, I think you can kind of draw a line in the sand in the 2018 season, and I'm not necessarily talking about the record. And the results, I'm talking about the issues with the players that year. Um, There were players, uh, his group of seniors, like in 2016 and 2017, you know, your Edmonds brothers, Isaiah Ford, Sam Rogers, Kenna Canem, guys like that, they were awesome. 
they were awesome. But for whatever reason, that leadership skill did not get passed down to that group of players below them. That were left behind. Uh, and, and there were highly influential players on that team that did not like Fuente. And when they exited the program, they let that be well-known. And it created a toxic atmosphere amongst the fan base. And there were issues in the program, of course. And I, I feel like Fuente ran a pretty tight ship his first couple of years. But, you know, that whole thing with the players only meeting, and he was basically like, what do you guys want? And the stuff like, oh, we want turkey bacon instead of regular bacon came out. And I, I'm telling you, if you want to have a soft football team, you give them turkey bacon <laughs> instead of regular bacon. But uh, I think he gave up too much then. And they liked him more after that. But liking a coach doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a better football team. Uh, if I don't think – they do a good job of holding guys accountable and establishing discipline and things like that. And it's those things that lead to better player development, which ultimately I, I think is Virginia Tech's issue. I, I was reading an article by Andy Bitter in The Athletic this morning, and he had some anonymous quotes from you know people who have been in Tech's program and also like assistant coaches who have coached against Virginia Tech. And the assistant coach who had coached against Tech, he says basically said, Virginia Tech has talent, but most of their players don't play up to their talent level. Which is a player development. Which is what issue. you've been saying. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what I've been saying. Um, so I, I think that's where he lost it. I, I think when he gave up too much, he, he started letting the players do what they wanted to do. That's when Virginia Tech's player development dropped off, and he he just couldn't couldn't handle that for whatever reason. And, and I think in hindsight, that was the big turning point in the program. And you wrote in your article, you, he needed to find more of a happy medium between being popular with the players, but also being their leader Correct. and having discipline. Yeah, I mean, and I, I remember, uh, I mean, it can be a disaster if if you hire the, the players coach, right? Yeah. Um, so he became more of a players coach after that, and the results started dropping off. I mean, I remember when Miami hired Larry Coker, right? They hired Larry Coker because that's who the players wanted them to hire. Mm. And how did that work out? I mean, that's what—that's when Miami dropped into this undisciplined rabble as a football program, and they were never able to get it back. Yeah. So, for me, uh, and I wrote a article about this yesterday. Um, it's easy to get bogged down in all of the details and all of the minutia that we've been a part of for the last five or six years. Um, and you're right; that first season was great. He had. Uh, he had a lot of good leftover players from from Frank's tenure. There wasn't a lot of depth. There were some really good frontline players. So he adds Gerard Evans to it, who's who's a tough guy, wrote you know good quarterback, and just a just a, a gamer and a baller, you know, and a competitor. And that first season went really well. And then at the end of that season, Evans, Isaiah Ford, and Bucky Hodges all left with remaining eligibility. Now this is a team that for 2017. Uh, returned a lot of starters on defense, and I think I think Chris, it was six guys who went on to play in the NFL off mm-hmm. that defense. Mm-hmm. So really good defense coming back, and a and a pretty darn good offense too. And then those three of those top guys on the offense bailed. Evans did not get drafted and did not stick in the NFL. He touched him, did a touch and go in a couple of camps. Uh, Hodges, I believe, got drafted in the sixth round. Uh, I don't think he. I'm not sure he ever played in an NFL game. I don't think he did. Uh, Isaiah got drafted in the seventh round by the Dolphins. 
and uh, and he is he's still hanging in there. He's on his forty seventh stint with the Dolphins. Right <laughs> yeah, but these were not <laughs> these these were not guys who were surefire NFL prospects. And they Virginia Tech had a really good team coming back, and yet they all left. Now Gerard has said since then that that he told the coaches at the beginning of the year, "I'm here for one year, and I'm out." And Chris and I have a theory that when coaches hear that stuff, they just go, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, we hear that all the time. The high schoolers say they're going to play three years and go pro, and transfers say they're going to be here one year and go pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the first sign. And, um, and, and I continued to write in this article, and where I eventually arrived was the 2018 ODU game. And up until that game, Fuente was 21-8, and eight, and after that game, he was 22-23. and 23. And what you saw in that game, um, you know, it wasn't just the 49 to 35 butt whipping. And there are all kinds of stats that come out of that. They Tech gave up 631 yards, almost 500 yards passing to a team that finished four and eight. With a backup quarterback. With a backup quarterback who quit football the next year. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to mock that decision. He went to seminary. He felt the calling. It wasn't all about football for him. But this wasn't a good football team. Not like last year's Liberty team, which is actually pretty good, you know. So, and then you saw some other, like the Pitt game, 52 to 22 that year. Um, and then there's another one, uh, um, oh, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech just ran all over Virginia Tech. It was 49-28 and it wasn't nearly that close. And that was just kind of the beginning. And, and, and again, uh, we, we, get, we get all bogged down in the reasons and the excuses. But in the end, when you look back on it, you're like, that was it well, right there. It was never well, the you same. Know, you talk about those three defensive performances. You know why those three defensive performances happened? Because he retained a defensive coordinator and a defensive line coach that weren't interested, that hadn't been interested in recruiting for a while. Tech's talent level dropped like a rock after, after 2017, 2017 because they had not been recruiting like in 2015 and 2016. Because they were, you know, you know that, that's just that's just the way the Frank Beamer tenure ended. It was just like. Nobody holding assistants accountable for recruiting and, and everything like that. And you go on the field w- with guys who, like Bryce Watts, I mean, people like that. I mean, they shouldn't have been. Uh, Tech was playing uh, one of their defensive ends that year who now plays for Duquesne, for goodness sake. Yeah. And he was playing for Virginia Tech. Yeah. And so it was just a whole uh, – like, I, I don't really blame the 2018 season on Fuente. Uh, I, I think that season was going to happen either way. Because I don't think Virginia Tech had talent on defense that year, and I, I don't totally disagree with you, but but the level of quit that I saw in some of those games was alarming. Yeah, Georgia it, Tech. Um, no, I, I will say. All right, now I'm going to read two tweets from former players that I read yesterday. Uh, Kenna Canem. Um, I'll always be grateful for what Coach Fu did for our program, especially in his first year in 2016. The sense of urgency he moved with provided a much-needed spark to our team and restored what I had envisioned my time in Blacksburg would be like back when I committed to Tech. That's interesting. Yes. And uh, and then Haushin Gaines says, I'm a Miss Fu. I know things didn't turn out the way we all planned, but you just had to be there to feel the shift he created in our program. He'll no doubt find another job and continue his coaching career. I can. I will always believe that those issues he had with with with, with some of players recruited by the previous staff in 2018 is he really really backed off because he was afraid of the whole transfer portal thing. And in my opinion, he shouldn't have backed off. He should have just let them go and told the rest of the team, okay, those guys don't want to be a part of how we want to build a program here. Yeah. 
And let's keep continuing what we were doing that made us successful in 2016 and 2017. Instead, he he backed off. And I think that really crushed us from a player development standpoint and from a culture standpoint. And I think in the end, that was his undoing. I don't think he ever should have backed off. I, I think that's a valid point. And I think he is one of those. Some some coaches can deal with that transfer for portal stuff better than other, others. We've talked about Pittsburgh, about how Pittsburgh every two or three years will cart a team out there that is just loaded with redshirt seniors. So, And I don't think a lot of those are transfers in, so I think they do a good job of player retention. But I do think Fuente is a personality that uh, kind of struggles with, with that part of the job. You mentioned retaining Bud Foster at the beginning of the Fuente area. I wrote this down because it felt like that was a move that Justin Fuente kind of had to agree to to take the job. You can't fire the legendary defensive coordinator, but Correct. do you think that would have – Maybe things change if Fuente had a choice of who he wanted on his defensive staff. I, I think uh, Tech's defenses were extremely talented in 2016 and 2017, and, and and I think they could have been successful that year with a different defensive coordinator. Maybe not quite as successful w- with a guy like Bud, but I do think, you know, so I do think Tech benefited in the short term from retaining Bud and Charlie Wiles, but I don't think they benefited in the long term. Yeah. And I'm going to compare that to this decision now to make J.C. Price the interim head coach. Justin Hamilton was kind of the guy who maybe you thought right. would get upgraded to the interim head coach. Do you think they're not trying him out because there is a 0.3% chance Virginia <laughs> Tech wins the Coastal right. uh, heading into these final two weeks? If Hamilton wins the Coastal, wins the ACC championship, you may be backed into a corner if you're Whit Babcock. Uh, you know, if that did happen to happen, then uh... – there will be a small percentage of the fan base that would try to back wit into a corner and hire J.C. Price as head coach. That's just the way some Tech fans are. Right. So um, I, I, I think – I mean, there, there are some Tech fans right now that want us to hire Todd Grantham. I mean, he just got fired as Florida's defensive coordinator. So in the middle of the season, their defense is so bad. Um, so – I, I, I think there, there, if that happened, like who, whichever guy was, was interim head coach, there would be a little bit of pressure from some parts of, of the fan base. I think the, the main reason they did it is so Hamilton, like there would be a lot of moving parts. Like if Hamilton became interim head coach, then somebody else has to be defensive coordinator, right? So that, that, that's. Somebody has to fill their role. Ex- right. So, uh, so the way I see it, Virginia Tech has two defensive line coaches, Bill Terlink and J.C. Price. So you move J.C. Price to the head coaching role, and you've still got a defensive line coach. There's only one move on the coaching staff as opposed to this whole domino effect. No. Well, we're going to keep talking about possible replacements for Justin Fuente, where the program goes from here, but. Let's check in with Katie in our fourth chair here before we take our break on episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. So it's fitting that J.C. Price takes over as head coach during Miami League because he himself played a really great game against Miami in 1995. He did. Virginia Tech was 0-2 to start the season that year. Miami comes into Blacksburg ranked. J.C. Price is a sack on one of the last plays of the game to preserve the Virginia Tech win. They win 13-7, and then they never lose again. So I think he's going to have the boys ready to play this week with that, you know, just with how well that he played in that game. And I think he had, four he had four sacks that game, he did. which is insane for a defensive tackle. <laughs> so yeah. one to preserve the win. He had four sacks, nine tackles. He was named Big East Defensive Player of the Week that week as well. Well-deserved. Yeah, um, you know, and, and you go back and watch that last play. Um, that That was – the last play was actually an incomplete pass. Yeah, they threw it at Lauren Johnson. It was yeah, yeah, you know, but 
Uh, Tech had some defensive tackles back then that were explosive to mm-hmm. the ball. Like David Pugh was was a guy. Well, he wasn't on that team. Well, no, he wasn't on that okay. team. But <laughs> it was kind of back in that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and JC was one of those guys. JC uh, struggled with a bad back, mm-hmm. um, and he just he he hit a he finally hit a stretch that year where his back didn't bother him, and uh, he had an outstanding year. He's probably national defensive player of the year for that game too. Yep. I don't know. But Pearson Prelude also played in that game, mm-hmm. so some interesting tidbits there. But since 1993, only one time did Virginia Tech lose their last two conference games in a season, so 2002. Um, it's interesting that we finished the season at Miami at, and at UVA because we have not lost back-to-back road games since 2016. Hmm. So what you're telling me is Tech's going to be bowl eligible this year, which is... <laughs> <laughs> If I had to pick one, I couldn't tell you which one I would pick right now between which we would win, Miami and UVA. I guess it has a lot to do with if Brandon Brandon Armstrong Armstrong. plays. Yeah, like if Brandon Armstrong can't play, I mean, they they, they only scored three points without him, and they can't play defense. So, like, I could actually – if Brandon Armstrong can't play, I could actually see Tech going up there and steamrolling UVA. Their defense is horrible. So – so the whole thing about, um, you know, is, is Tech going to get rolled down at Miami this, this Saturday? And this is a legit question I have. Um, once you get to game day, how big of a role does the head coach really play? You know, it's all about prep, and then the coordinators are making the play calls during the game. Now, I guess the coach makes decisions about when are we going to go for it on fourth down? Are we going to go for two? <laughs> when are we going to call a timeout? You know, but it's not like he's calling plays. Yeah. If they go down there properly prepared, sure, they can play a good, uh, great game even without Fuente. I mean, do you remember watching Bobby Bowden coach? Like, even in his heyday? <laughs> the guy, he never had a headset. Occasionally, he'd want to say something to, like, Mark Richt, his offensive coordinator, so somebody would bring him a headset. But other than that, he just sat there in his straw hat and, and watched the game. So, there's, yeah, there's a story from the 2001 Gator Bowl. Uh, Tech played Florida State down in the Gator Bowl, and, 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 uh, I don't remember exactly what the score was, but this game dragged on in the second and third quarter, and, and Tech was very competitive. I think they were actually beating Florida State. And Bowden supposedly puts the headset on and says something like, do we need to start blitzing more? Do we need to change things up here? Right. And they change, and then they come back and they win the football game. So that was – he, like, had one piece of input in that game. And Mac Brown's the same way. You see Mac just walking up Well, the Well, side. that was the infamous uh, Javon walker Ronnie Whitaker game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't wind me up on that one. And, and I don't know if it's a trend. I haven't looked up stats on this, but it feels like – maybe this is more of an NFL thing, but when there is an interim head coach, that first game after the head coach get fired gets fired, I feel like – Every team blows out whoever they're playing. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you'd have to look at the numbers to see if that's accurate and everything. But I think it's a really interesting game because both teams are in a period of transition, both programs. Virginia Tech, a head coaching standpoint, but the night before Virginia Tech fired Justin Fuente, Miami fired their athletics director. And I heard something about like their players this week we're going to take part in like a town hall session with like the school president and everything to talk about hiring a new athletic director and talk about the football program as, as a whole. Wow. And that that's a little bit of a distraction. Yeah. And with a new AD, obviously those guys know that it puts Manny Diaz squarely in, in the crosshairs, right? Because they're not impressed with the job he's done down there. So I wouldn't think he would get fired after this year because a new AD won't be in place by then, but it puts him probably one of the top five in coacheshotseat.com, right, on, on their list, right, heading yeah. into the next season. So you've got to think some of those Miami guys have their futures in doubt a little bit in, in their head. So And you just don't know how players are going to respond to that. 
Um, one team could respond to it really well, and the other team could respond to it really poorly, and we see a blowout. Uh, both teams could respond to it poorly, and we just see a horrible, really lethargic game. football game. <laughs> or both teams could respond to it great, and we see a really high-level competitive environment. It's just those are the intangibles that you can't pick. And speaking of HotSeats.com, that uh, CBS Sports article I referenced at the beginning of the season, our season preview, Three hottest seats were Randy Edsel, Justin Fuente, Scott Frost. Two of three are now gone. Mm-hmm. I believe Scott Frost is coming back. How about Jim Mora taking the UConn job? Very interesting. We've hijacked Katie. Let's, let's Sorry, see what else she's got. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, I think it's definitely going to play a factor as well that this is a night game in Coral Gables. It's their senior day. I know, Will, you said on the last podcast that you were – potentially going to do a deep dive on how well we play in night games at Coral Gables. Did this happen? <laughs> and that did not happen yes, because of yesterday. So, uh, yeah, I essentially started working at 7.30 in the morning, and I was up till 2 a.m. last night. Mm-hmm. You know, So didn't get a chance to go into that. I would have to assume that it's not great. But one last little tidbit, Miami is the only ACC Coastal School that we don't hold the record over for all-time games. So we're 15-23 and 23 against them all-time, but every all other time. ACC Coastal School – we hold the record. Right. And, but I want to say we were something like 0 and 7 or 0 8, 0 and 8 against Miami before the, the yeah, 95. Yeah, they had game. a really long win streak. Yeah. yeah. For so, a while. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I know they beat us in, in a couple of ball games, I believe, right? Back in like one in the 60s and one in the early 80s. Yeah. Like um, uh, Peach Bowl when I was still in high school. Uh, uh, do you know who Miami's quarterback in that game was? Uh, Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly. Wow. I And I think the next year, Miami, you know, and, and I think they're or people that will remember this and be able to correct me if I'm wrong. But I think the next year Miami came to Lane Stadium to play. and uh, Kelly got hurt. He did. I think it was David Marvel that tackled him and separated Kelly's shoulder. And I think – Mark Richt. Mark Richt. Came into the game. Yeah, wow. Kelly's in. backup. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's all for me. All right. Well, thank you, Katie. We are going to take a break here on Episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we get back, we'll get to what everybody's waiting for. Who is going to be the next head coach of Virginia Tech football? I've got, again, about 10 names written down. I'm also going to ask Will and Chris for some off-the-wall candidates that maybe aren't being talked about right now. So look forward to that, and then we'll also check on the Miami game later this week because there is still a football game to be played on Saturday down in Coral Gables. Stay with us. We're going to take a break here on Episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We are doing a deep dive on Justin Fuente getting fired yesterday, or Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente mutually agreeing to part ways, no longer the head coach of Virginia Tech football. We've already gone through his era here and how he will be remembered at Virginia Tech. Now it's time to dive in to some of the possible replacements for Justin Fuente after his six-year career in Blacksburg. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Katie Adams, Jake Lyman, Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes. As always, Tech Sideline Podcast brought to you by the Southeast Regional Training Center. And again, reminder, if you are on YouTube, leave a question for Will and Chris, and we'll get to those in just a few minutes here on episode 209 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Before we get into names who could replace Justin Fuente, Chris, you put this in your article from yesterday, a poll that Tech Sideline conducted Back after uh, Frank Beamer retired, mm-hmm. of who the fans would want to be the next head in, coach in 2015 at, at, at Virginia Tech, yep. uh, and the results are, are pretty interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So I, I put 13 names in the poll, and I told fans to vote for their top three candidates. So here are the results in order of popularity. Number one, Tom Herman, who has since been fired at Texas. 
Number two, Bud Foster, who was retired. Number three, Mark Richt, who is now retired. Number four, Justin Fuente, who just got fired from Virginia Tech yesterday. Number five, Chad Morris, who's like one of the worst power five coaches in the history of football. <laughs> I think he's now coaching high school ball. Number six, Larry Fedora, who is who got, you know, circles coached around and by Justin Fuente and is now fired from UNC. Number seven, Rich Rodriguez. Fired at Arizona, and that takes a lot considering how bad Arizona. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, number eight, Kirby Smart. Now we're <laughs> in the bottom half of the list now. Number eight, Kirby Smart, who's the head coach at Georgia. Number nine, Dan Mullen, who did a great job in Mississippi State and was doing really well at Florida until this year. If Marco but, Wilson hadn't thrown right. a shoe last year, he would have coached in the college Which, football playoff. Exactly, exactly right. So, um, not a great year this year, but overall, Mullen's been a pretty darn good coach. Uh, Number 10 is Pep Hamilton, who's now a quarterback's coach in the NFL, and his star has fallen as an offensive coordinator. Uh, number 11, Matt Rule, who is now an NFL head coach for, for the Panthers. 5-5 five uh, and five this season. Um, number 12, Matt Campbell, who's done a very good job at Iowa State. And then number 13 is Dino Baber. So I find it funny that the top seven guys on, on this list have either been fired or have retired, while guys at the bottom of the list – have gone on to have some pretty pretty good success um, in college football, but you know overall, like four only four of these thirteen guys have really had success as, as head coaches since 2015, and that should tell you right there that how difficult it is to identify and hire the right guy. Like you might be a hundred percent convinced that you know, and maybe you do, but you, but you guess what? You probably don't. Like. And that applies to me just as much as anybody. Like, because I'm pretty sure my top three vote getters on this list, I'm sure at least two of them were amongst these top seven guys. I think Fuente was in my top three. Yep. I, don't, I don't remember who my other two were off off the top of my I'll, head. I'll bet you I voted for Tom Herman and Justin Fuente. Me too. And I'll bet I went off the rails and my third choice was Larry Fedora. Pro, uh, that might have been mine. He was a good yeah. offensive coach. He was recruiting well at the time. It's, it seemed I, I might have been the first person that floated Fedora's name. On the boards because at that time, at that time he was coming off a eleven and one season at UNC. His offenses had always been great. They and, looked and like he, they were hitting he, their stride. He was recruiting well, so you're sitting there thinking, "Man, you pair this guy with Bud Foster, yeah. and that could work out really, really well." Yeah, yeah. And it, uh, it seemed like, and we mentioned in the first half of the podcast that Justin Fuente was widely regarded as a good hire when right. he was brought into Virginia Tech, and sometimes things just don't work out, as you can see, top seven on that list, uh, all again fired or retired. So that brings us to some names that I have written down for where can Virginia Tech go from here to replace Justin Fuente. Top two names that I've heard floated the most, Mm -hmm. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest and Billy Napier at Louisiana Lafayette. It seems like those are the two guys who have kind of, you see the most smoke there for those two names. So uh, full disclosure, Chris has actually been researching a lot of these guys. I've gotten through three or four of them completely. And I was going to have it all done you know, in a couple of weeks, because I thought the firing was going to happen after, after, after that. But, but so I've got some catching up to do. So by contrast, I don't have much of an appetite for talking about this sort of stuff, because I think you can spend a lot of time doing it. And then Witt's going to hire somebody else completely. So I, I, <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm going to ask you at the end for an off the wall candidate. I'm going to ask. Both I, don't, of you. I don't know so, that I have one, but go ahead. Well, we'll see if you get if you can think of one at the end. But again, Dave Clawson, Billy Napier, those seem to be the two names that are being floated around the most for this Virginia Tech job. Seem like both would be pretty decent hires for Virginia Tech. Yeah, um, I would have. I, th- I think both of them tick a lot of boxes. What I like about the process this time is I, I, 
like last time, and, I, and this is an oversimplification, but it seemed like the only two boxes that anybody thought about was an offensive-minded head coach who had had success and is he willing to keep Bud Foster. And as we've learned over the last six years, there, there are so many other things there's that you need. Lot more there's a whole lot more to running a football program than that. So I, I don't think we're going to – I don't think there's a candidate available that's going to tick every box this time around. But what I do like is we're looking at more boxes. We're taking, I think we're taking a lot more characteristics and traits into account when we yeah. when Virginia Tech makes the decision. So uh, I don't think there's anybody that ticks every box, and I'll say that. And the guys that you know took every box are already coaching at Ohio State and Alabama and, and places like that. And maybe and, even Cincinnati. Right, exactly. And, um, yeah, so I, 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 what I like about Clawson is at every at every program he's been at, he's, he's overachieved. Um, he's taken – Programs that weren't so good and turned them into good programs. I think they've had six winning records in a row at Wake Forest. That hasn't happened at Wake Forest since the '40s. You know, he—he's the. I mean, this is Wake Forest is one of the worst five or six jobs in Power Five football, and he's won there. And uh, he did a great job at Richmond. Uh, his offense is—it can be tweaked. Like his first year at Bowling Green, they had a receiver catch 155 passes, which is the NCAA record. Yeah. Uh, he's also had 1,000-yard rushers. Um, the guy who, you know, he can identify talent. Like the guy who might win the Heisman Trophy this year. Kenneth Walker. Was a two-star recruit yep. who went to Wake Forest. You know, so uh, I, I, he's also the most experienced coach. Um, he also happens to be the only coach that I've actually talked to anyone about, anybody who I trust with actual football knowledge. Like right. one of the top coaches in the state of – one of the top high school coaches in the state of Virginia this morning texted me. Asked me if I'm asked me about names, and I ran Clawson by him, and he said I love Clawson, had nothing but great interactions with him since he was at Richmond, and that, and that's a major in-state coach with a great reputation in, in the state of Virginia. Um, he's taken Boogie Basham out of Roanoke, he's taken Greg Dorch out of Richmond, guys that Virginia Tech misevaluated. Yeah. Um, now the, the the questions about Clawson are. What would he, or kind of actually the same questions I had about Mike Young when Virginia Tech hired him. Um, what are you going to do with your coaching staff? And Mike Young's defenses were always bad at Wofford, so I didn't know how that would translate to the ACC level. And as it turned out, you know, Mike Young used an increased budget that he got at Virginia Tech to upgrade his coaching staff, including hiring you know guys like Chester Frazier, who were really good defensive coaches, and Tech's defense has improved. So that's the question I would ask. Uh, Dave Clawson. I think he's definitely got some coaches on his staff that would be good fits at Virginia Tech, but I think there's some other guys, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, who would not be. And so that would be my number one question to him. How are you going to take your improved budget and improve your defensive staff? And Napier, I I have confidence that Napier would would put a good staff together. And, uh, you know, he's coached – I think he'd be good from a player development standpoint. He's been in the Clemson program. He's been in the Alabama program. Uh, I think he would work really hard at recruiting and and things that people are looking for. My question about Napier is he appears to be married to having complete control over the offense and calling the plays himself. That's what got him fired at Clemson. He could not coach offense against ACC coaches. So if he came in here and decided to call plays, how's that going to work out? Um, that that's the main thing. I, I, that's that's my biggest question mark with him. Even if, even if you look at his offenses at Louisiana, he's had two games this year where they've gained fewer than three hundred yards, and three other games where they've gained fewer than four hundred yards. That's not very good by modern standards. So is he actually a good offensive coach? 
I actually have my doubts. So I would not feel comfortable with him actually coaching the Virginia Tech offense. So, like I said, he doesn't check every box. Um, you, I, I would have to ask him, like, look, you're going to have a much bigger budget now at Louisiana. Are you willing to... I'm gonna get. Let's. I'm gonna give you a million dollars to hire an offensive. Coordinator. I don't know what the number is gonna be, but I give you this X amount of money to hire an offensive coordinator. You willing to spend it, or are you gonna to continue to take control yeah. over the offense, which I don't know that you're suited for. I have a limited amount of exposure to them, watching them on. I think a Thursday night recently, and I think we talked about this. The, their offense that night was scary. It was not good. They wound up scoring 21 points, but particularly early in the game, it was. They basically got shut out for two and a half quarters. Right, right yeah. yeah. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here uh, with Dave Clawson, and I'm telling you now that I'm getting these questions just from reading through your Twitter mentions. Sure. So uh, Dave Clawson, only one really good year at Wake Forest so far this year, yeah. ranked in the top ten right now, but you need a little more consistency there. And then also is the offense gimmicky with that long delayed mesh point uh who cares if it's gimmicky? Well, that, <laughs> I mean, look, Again, we, we used to complain about Brian Steinspring for not being creative enough. And now you want to complain about somebody's offense being too creative? Yeah. I mean, uh, look. Uh, and uh, I just, I'm not sure the one good season thing is completely fair, and I'm sorry I don't have the record right off the top of my head. But was it 2019 when they came into Lane State? They were ranked. They, they had a really good season going that year. Then they had a key injury at key quarterback injuries. and a key yeah. injury at wide receiver. That was it. They were done because they didn't have the depth. But they were well, they were I, having a good I, season. I think, like I said, where they're one of the top worst five or six jobs in Power Five football. I mean, yeah. that's and now they're that's as good as they can possibly be at Wake Forest. Like you telling me, if you switch Dave Clawson and Justin Fuente with this with each football team right now, do you think Wake Forest should be nine and one, and do you think Virginia Tech would be five and five? I bet it'd be at least two games in the opposite direction for both teams. And Wake Forest is a fourth quarter collapse against North Carolina away from being undefeated with at least an argument for the college football playoff at that point. And, Probably and, not getting in, but an right. argument. Okay, and and not all jobs are created equal. Yes. All right, now you tell me if this coach is hireable. He was at a Power 5 school for five seasons. His first year he went 6-5-1. and five and one. His second year he went 6-6. Six and six. His third year he went seven and five. His fourth year he went six and six, and his last year he went nine and two. Name that coach. Well, again, I, I'm letting you know that I read through your okay, Twitter okay, comments, okay. so I know who okay. this is. Can you I name that coach? Uh, all right. Well, oh no, no. First of all, tell me is that coach hireable with the records I just put up? Looks out? that way. What happened to him after he went nine and two? That's I'm where not he telling right you. Now, I'm right? not. I'm basing basing on. Is that his record right now? This no, year? no, 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 okay. no, no, no. This is. I'm just giving you his the five years. The only five years he spent. At this particular uh, Power Five job, sure he's hireable. I'm guessing that nine and two was 2020, and they played 11 games. Oh no 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 no! Oh, a long time. Michigan no, no. State. No. All right, all right. If for, if a Virginia Tech coaching candidate will let's let's say this guy is on the market right now, and he has five years of experience at a Power Five school, and his records were six and five and one. I would look six at that and guy. Six, yes, seven and five, six and six, and nine and two. Yeah, clearly there's a lot of other details, but you'd look at that guy. You'd look at him. But he's like a, not a full-fledged – or it's Nick Saban. At Michigan State. Yes, yes. right. And then LSU hired him. Clawson's records at Wake Forest have been better than Saban's records at Michigan State. Uh, so, like, I mean, what I'm saying is not all jobs are created equal. Yeah. Again, just playing devil's advocate there, those are the questions people are going to ask on these candidates. Uh, 
we can do a double here. Both Clemson coordinators, I know Tony Elliott was a popular name if, Joseph, if Justin Fuente uh, had been let go last year. He hasn't had a great year this year without Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Uh, and then Brent Venables, who, again, I think it would take a pretty just, lucrative contract to get him away from Clemson. Uh, I just, I just, on his kid, all right, first of all, one of the things is, like, apparently – he doesn't want to leave Clemson as long as his kids are playing there. Yep. What what year are they? Yeah. I have no clue. Not sure. So, plus he's just not – he's a little too crazy on the sideline for me. I mean, I, I want my head coach being able to think clearly and make game day decisions without emotions and, and things like that. He just – and you got to figure, like, he's been, a, he's been an elite defensive coordinator for almost 20 years now and nobody else has hired him. Like there's got to be something in the vetting process yeah. where they decide, you know, he's he's not our guy. Um, <laughs> probably the sideline behavior. <laughs> probably. I mean that 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 rules him out for me. I don't even know a whole lot about the guy other than he still signs. I think, I think, I think he's a really good defensive yeah, coordinator. Yeah, I think he's a great defensive coordinator. I don't think I don't know that that would translate as a head coach. I don't yes. know that it, that it wouldn't. But uh, Elliot, you know, I, I like Elliot. I liked him a lot more a year ago from now. Uh, but so it's like to me, it's like. Can he succeed without elite talent? Now, the other thing is, like, you're talking about a completely different skill set going from coordinator to head coach. So it doesn't necessarily mean that because Clemson offense is having a down year that he's any less of an ideal candidate than he was a year ago. I mean, you'd have to sit down and talk to him. I'd have to ask him things about his philosophies on player development, discipline, Rules, holding staffing. guys accountable, staffing, things like that. Uh, see, see, we, we so we have these whole discussions, and and we're reading, uh, we're watching these guys on television, and we're looking at records and reading Wikipedia entries, you know. And Wit's the guy who actually gets to sit down and have those conversations. conversations. So, like, like people worry about Kloss and staff, and and based on what I know now, know the questions Wit Babcock asked Mike Young during that whole interview process. What are you going to do about your staff? Are you going to bring these Southern Conference assistants to Virginia Tech? Witt got a favorable response from from Mike Young and said, no, I'm not. I'm guessing that if if they sat down and talk, that I don't think Witt Babcock would hire Dave Clawson unless he made assurances about upgrading the coaching staff. Particularly the defensive staff. Yes, yeah, the, the, the defensive staff. That That's my opinion. So um, I – so when I, when I say, yeah, I like Dave Clawson, it's for two reasons. I have mo- There's more information about Clawson than anybody else. You, you know what you're getting in yeah. Dave Clawson. And number two, I'm operating under the assumption, under, with an educated guess, that he would upgrade his defensive staff before he came here. Going to go quickly through three group of five head coaches, and let's start with who Vegas has as the odds-on favorite to become Virginia Tech's next head coach, and that's Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Huh. I uh, He's done a really good job at whatever level of football he's coached at. Um, what concerns me is he kind of operates at the Wisconsin of the group of five schools, where they have a program CEO who's their former head coach, who was an excellent head coach, Really smart guy who was the CEO of TD Ameritrade. He really knows how to run an organization. <laughs> so, uh, so it, it's kind of like Wisconsin is successful. They bring these coaches in, but like it's Barry Alvarez who's like the CEO. He's the GM, sort of. Um, can Jamie Chadwell operate outside of that 
umbrella that he's in at Coastal Carolina, which I think is actually one of the best organizations in college football. Their organization at Coastal Carolina is exceptional. Can he operate outside of that organization against, you know, better coaching talent in the ACC? And like like every other, and he's never coached at the Power Five level, not even as an assistant, right? I, I believe. I don't believe so. Yeah. so again, and, and the other major question there is, what are you going to do with your staffing? Of course, because you can't bring your Coastal Carolina staff. You're going to have to have some guys with with Power Five experience on the staff from, but some guys who know how to handle players that were higher recruited than than Coastal Carolina's players. Um, I like I, every time I've watched Coastal Carolina play, I've I've enjoyed watching them play. I think from a pure humor standpoint, his offensive coordinator is Willie Corn. We did hire Jamie Chadwell, and he brought <laughs> Willie Corn with him. We, we would have another Corn as offensive coordinator. Yeah, I, would, could, I would really like to. See, I would really like to see Virginia Tech's Twitter <laughs> meltdown if that happened. I think that would be hilarious. But I'd like Chadwell. He's on my list. Um, what I would really like, he might actually bump to the top of my list if we could bring the, the TD Ameritrade CEO. Yes, exactly, <laughs> and make him associate athletic director for football and have him run all football operations. I would love that. That might actually be more a more important hire than the actual head coach. Yeah, yeah. And again, Jamie Chadwell, odds-on favorite, at least says Las Vegas, plus four hundred to become Virginia Tech next. So head are coach. you? So you're looking at the same article I'm looking. I am, at. and yeah. Billy Napier is next at plus five hundred, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then Mike Elko. Oh, Mike Elko. Um, I only that, heard that name floated like yesterday. Oh, that, I heard that yesterday. Well, he was going to be my dark horse. Okay, so, so here we go. Let's just right go now. with that off the wall. Hey, well, he's a, I think he's a Pennsylvania guy. He's got ties in this region. So who is he? Where is he coaching right now? He's Texas A&M's and, defensive coordinator. Yeah. He is mm-hmm. Dave Clawson's former defensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, at the beginning of Clawson's tenure, their defense was better than their offense when, when Elko was, was their defensive coordinator. I believe he was their defensive coordinator when they held Virginia Tech to zero points in, in four quarters of football in 2014. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, to well, me... that's being the tallest midget in the room. Yeah, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if for, from a coordinator standpoint, he's got a good resume. And, you know, he's obviously worked now in, in a big-time program. He knows the region from his, his years at Wake Forest, so... He's my. He would be a dark horse candidate for me. There we go. We'll clip that if he ends up becoming Virginia Tech's next head coach. <laughs> Chris Coleman called it first. Uh, another group of five head coach, kind of a younger guy, Will Healy at Charlotte. The I'm not exactly old, but I'm not really young either. But I'm really hesitant to hire somebody younger than me as Virginia <laughs> Tech's head coach. Right? <laughs> um, I, I don't think the experience level is there. I, I think he. Uh, I think he's got a he's got a good mind for the game. Uh, I think he understands recruiting. Like I remember when I think he was at Austin P at one point, and somehow they actually signed the number one recruiting class in FCS there. For however you can recruit it, rate right, yeah, FCS recruits. I think that's silly. But um, so I I, th- I I think he's got it. Might have a good future in coaching, but I would feel very very uncomfortable. With, so with so the only thing I know about Healy that's of any import is that. Uh, there is a fairly large athletic donor at Virginia Tech who is on the Healy train. He wants Will Healy. It's not Mehal. I'm not talking about Mehal, and I'm not going to name the name. But so you know the names have been brought up to Whit Babcock. All right, I have a special request from the audience. Uh, David Cunningham, sitting in the room over here, he wants to hear about Gaddis at Michigan. Gaddis, um, he he and uh, offensive Whit- coordinator, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he played for Wake Forest under uh, Jim Grobe. He was on that 2016. Was he a defensive guy? He was a defensive back. Yeah. And uh, 
he was one of the guys that got drafted off off that team. Uh, he's 37 or 38 years old. Um, I watched a little bit of their game against Michigan State, and I was impressed with their passing game. And he uh, and Witten know each other. They, they right? know each other. Uh, yeah. there, there's there's this partnership for minority coaches, and it's basically teaching minority coaches how to improve their resumes, how to uh, interview for jobs and things like Market that. Market themselves. Yeah, right. right. So Witt is basically his coach on this committee. Like, like each coach is paired with an athletic director, and they are paired together. So let's jump in here and make a point that, you know, when these coaching searches go on, the agents get involved, they float names, and it really muddies the yep. water. If, if you go back to remembering when Witt hired Buzz Williams, uh, Witt had direct conversations with Buzz. Buzz doesn't have an agent. Right. You know, so Witt was able to have these – I remember – I remember Witt saying something like, it was like we were dating. We stayed up and talked until late into the night. Mm -hmm. And that's how Buzz got hired. And I what doubt I'm saying is, Witt's got Gaddis' cell phone number. Right. Agent yeah. doesn't need to get involved. They can have a lot of in-depth conversations exactly. without anybody else being involved. I'm pretty sure Mike Young was the same way. Yeah. That was a lot of direct communication there. I don't know if Mike Young has an agent or not, but I'm pretty sure that was more, a lot more direct and, and not and, a lot and, of middlemen. Witt could have gotten Mike Young's cell phone number just by any number of people. By walking down area. the hall and talking and, to John Boleyn, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Gaddis has a good mind for the game. I, I, I've, I've, I've heard that most athletic directors right now don't view him as quite being ready for a head coaching job. So I think that's, that's only an outside possibility right now. Okay, I've got two more names, and I have a feeling this one might be pretty quick. I think these were pretty much disproven yesterday. Marty Smith mentions NFL offensive coordinators Byron Leftwich for the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Brian Dable from the Buffalo Bills. I don't have no idea who that is. He, he <laughs> was, so both of those guys were floated for NFL head coaching jobs okay. last year. Wow. Okay. Um, okay. I don't think I, – I remember when Byron Leftwich played in college. I saw him play in Lane Stadium. 2002? 2002 when he played for Marshall. Great quarterback. Isn't that um, the game where they had to carry him down the field? No, that was a different game. That was yeah, okay. it. Whenever, yeah, um, Great television. Oh, yeah, it really was. Um, he's never been a college coach, though, right? I don't believe it. I think he went straight from player uh, to the NFL. I, I, you know, I think he could certainly bring some clout in from a, a, a recruiting standpoint as in, oh, I've coached Tom Brady and things like that. But guess what? Scott Leffler had the same clout. He, you know, he went to Michigan with Brady. Then yeah. he was his grad assistant. They were best friends. He's coached a bunch of NFL quarterbacks. And Tech tried to go out and sign a bunch of five-star and four-star quarterbacks under Leffler. I remember seeing pictures on Twitter of the quarterbacks, you know, wearing, uh, wearing Aaron Moorhead's Super Bowl ring. And there's all these NFL connections. And guess what? Not one of them came here. Um, so I want somebody with experience coaching college football. Yeah. Um, because the fact of the matter is, Recruiting sucks. And if you've been in the NFL and then you immediately go to college and you're like, can't I just, can't we just sign players to $500,000 contracts and then I coach them up? Um, I really don't feel like going and getting to know grandma. You yeah, know, when, I, when is it my turn to just pick the next player, the guy? Right, right, want. right. Who yeah. are we drafting? Right. So not a lot of NFL coaches like recruiting, right. especially after they've been to the to the NFL and then they come back to college or they go to college for the first time. Um, and that, that's my worry also with some people have floated uh, Bill O'Brien. Yes. The Alabama offensive coordinator. He's listed here. Yeah. He's he's only coached in college three years since 2006. So much time in the NFL. I just I, – he was okay at Penn State, nothing special. And but I just don't. I just think after all that time in the NFL, that I don't know how serious he would take recruiting. Well, he may prefer recruiting because he was just 
awful about uh, managing a roster in the NFL. So maybe he re- prefers recruiting and, to and, and I'll free say agents this, and drafting. So for whatever reason, with him as offensive coordinator this year, Alabama's 68th in rushing offense. How in mm. the world does that happen? Mm. All right. Um, so, again, Dayball and Leftwich probably not going to be options for Virginia Tech. Uh, I think them and Eric Bieniemy probably top three candidates for NFL head coaching jobs next mm-hmm. year. Uh, another request from David Cunningham, Huff. Yeah, oh, he's of course. Yeah. The um, as well. I'm on Huff, the Huff train. Yeah, I like Huff. Um, now, wait a minute. Let me talk about Huff. Okay. Since, since I actually – like he's <laughs> one of the – He's the only that, one you've researched. <laughs> I wouldn't even say I've researched <laughs> I said I sent this man a bunch of information about Dave Clawson like two weeks ago. He hadn't even looked at it. <laughs> uh, I was, anyway, he, Chris is correct. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, so uh, – Charles Huff. So there, there is. I admit there is a tendency to want what you currently don't have, right? So whatever Frank Beamer wasn't, that's what we wanted in Justin Fuente. Whatever Justin Fuente isn't or wasn't, that's the shiny thing that you want the next guy to be. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I freely admit that. I also freely admit all I've done is watch a couple of Charles Huff press conference videos, which were good. That's and, a, that's and, important. You can get a feel for guys, and like he's that. awesome. You know, he's he's very good with. The media, he's very chatty. I think I have said jokingly that, that if Virginia Tech hires Charles Huff, it's going to be awful for the for the SMA students that have to type on <laughs> Tech Talk Live for us and the press conferences because he goes 100 miles an hour. And he's, he's you watch him for three minutes and he gets off great quotes. Like a reporter asked him, you know, what about recruiting? And he said, oh, recruiting is something you got to do every day. You either control recruiting or it controls you. You know, and, and, he's, and he's got stuff like that. He's got the background of having, uh, first of all, he has been one of the best recruiters in the country. He worked at uh, Penn State for four years, Alabama for two years, I think. He was associate head coach at Alabama. Associate head coach and running backs coach. coach. And when he was at Penn State, he recruited the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area for Penn State and cleaned up. He did very well. So looking at him from the outside looking in, he is – uh, a guy that I think could get donors to open their pockets even more than they are already. That part of the operation is going well. I think that the donors would love it. And I also think with with his ability to relate to people that he continue to be could continue to be a fantastic recruiter here at Virginia Tech. I don't really know anything about he's only his he's in his first year at Marshall. They're six and four. I don't know if he's a good head coach or not. But I will also openly admit that I'm not sure I care, and that may sound like a weird thing to say, but what do you need right now? You need an injection of enthusiasm and an injection of talent. And Charles Huff appears to be the guy that can get you those things. If he turns out to be a good program manager and a good head coach, great, you've hit a home run. If he kind of flames out in those areas, at least the next guy walks in with a bunch of talent on the roster and can do something with it. And that's what happened with Fuente. When he walked in, he had a bunch of talent on the roster and did good things with it. So you ask of your coaches to leave the program better than when they found it, and my gut feel is that Huff is a guy that could do that. All that said, this Sportsline article you and I are looking at, he's yep. not even listed. He is not. There's some preposterous names on oh, there. Oh, absolutely there preposterous. he's not one of them. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a – he's probably in my top – two or three, but, I mean, I've only researched, like, four guys, so my research yeah. is incomplete. <laughs> so um, he's on the Clawson train, I'm on the Huff I, train. And, and Huff is definitely a guy that the fans would like. Um, he would win the press conference. Um, I think he would be able, you know, provided the right budget, be able to put together a strong uh, recruiting staff in this region. He, he is from Maryland. He played at Hampton. 
He's got a, and you know obviously he coached at Penn State. You know, so he, he was born in Maryland, but apparently he grew up on the eastern shore of Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, so where Ace Custis grew up, yeah. basically. Uh, so I, I think you know he's he's also coached at Mississippi State. So he's he's had to learn to grind there from a recruiting standpoint yeah. because recruiting at Alabama and recruiting at Virginia Tech is not the same. Right. Um, now I think he does understand the importance of it. Um, I, I think he would be. I think he would fit the CEO CEO mold pretty well. He's never been a coordinator before. I don't view that as a negative because I think people too, in the past have put too much stock on, oh, this guy finished eighth in total offense for three years in a row. He'd be a great head coach. Well, no, I know that used to be important to me, and it's not. Exactly. Anymore. It's not important to me at all Just anymore. don't be an idiot. Just know what you're looking at. Exactly. So, yeah, Huff is certainly high on my list with my incomplete research so far. That being said, Whit Babcock's history says he greatly prefers hiring coaches with head coaching experience, right. and, I'm, and and this is Huff's first year as a head coach. They're seven and four, or excuse me, six and four. You know, they actually, they have a worse winning percentage than they did the last few years under Doc Holliday. It's not that you should judge Huff off that. It's his first year as a head coach, right. um, and Holiday was getting close to the end of his tenure, so we don't know what kind of recruiting they were doing there. But there's not a lot of experience there as a head coach, and I, I can think like. Witt hired Jill Wilson as volleyball coach as head coach, and she was not a previous head coach. And actually, he didn't really hire her. He turned that hire over to Desiree, Desiree. Francois, the old yeah. associate. Jill Wilson did not work out. Um, he promoted uh, Tony Roby as an ass- from assistant to top to the head wrestling coach, and that has worked out. Now, Roby did have a previous head coaching experience at Binghamton before he came to Virginia Tech, which is a good wrestling coach. right, right. And then Witt did promote from within. Um, to hire the men's golf coach. Um, so his history of hiring coaches is either guys with head coaching experience elsewhere or to promote with, from within. So look, we're not, we're not promoting from within for this, for the, for this job. Um, this is going, I mean, unless he go, gets away from all his past inclinations as an athletic director, this coach is going to have head coaching experience in my opinion. I mean, I mean, that's, that's what I do as a history major, right? I study the past, to, you know, to try to determine the future and things like that. And Witt's past history suggests that he's going to hire someone with head coaching experience. That's interesting because my dark horse does not have head coaching experience. Well, neither so do my dark we'll horse. That. But you got is your dark horse. That's why it's a dark horse. Are we ready to reel, 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 so reveal he, he's my He's got dark Elko as his dark horse. Who do you have, Will? Well, first of all, more Charles Huff hype. The, the other quote he had that was memorable was, again, he was talking about recruiting and he said, he said, it's all about recruiting. When, when you're watching a football game on Saturday and you see uh, my team do something wrong that you want to blame Charles Huff for, well, that's that's recruiting. He said, <laughs> I, I need to get better players. You know, So he, he believes totally believes in the importance of recruiting. And and I think he may be one of those rare guys that actually likes it. Jim right. Kavanaugh. Jim Kavanaugh was that way. That's how Jim Kavanaugh competed was in recruiting. So my dark horse, if we're ready for that, is Jeff Grimes, the offensive coordinator at Baylor. Okay. All right. And who was Virginia Tech's former offensive line coach? He was here yes. for one year. So he's been Left here. after one year to go to LSU, I believe. And uh, and he did work here when Witt was here. Witt came in February 2014, I think. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'd have to look it up. I think Grimes right. was still here. Right. Then. Now, now, we have to warn you during coaching searches. You're going to hear a lot of names. And we, we warn people this every coaching search, whether it's football or basketball. Like – you're gonna have agents throwing their throwing their candidates' names out there to try to get them contract extensions and raises and things like that. 
you could even have Whit Babcock leaking names to throw people off the scent of his real target. Well, for the men's basketball hire, it seemed like it was a done deal that Ryan Odom was going to get the job for yeah, about right, 24 right, hours. Right, for about 24 hours. And so Jeff Grimes was at Virginia Tech last in 2013. So mm-hmm. he and Whit may have kind of passed each other in the hall. But no, they never. I don't think they really worked together. And there was also a point in the last basketball search where the Seton Hall coach they kept saying yes, yes he's yeah. definitely coming to tech right and then all of a sudden that night it's like wow it's Mike Young how about that nobody yeah. had any idea um, just yesterday I either got texts or emails or whatever from people saying that oh just to let you know I've heard the head coach is going to be Dave Clawson I've heard the head coach is going to be Billy Napier and I've heard the head coach is going to be Jeff Grimes so I got people emailing me yesterday saying oh I've heard this I've heard this I've heard that and I'm like okay uh, I mean, this happens every time, and people fall for it every time. Right. Right. Um, so maybe you'll hear stuff. Maybe you. Maybe it'll be accurate what you hear, but maybe it won't. But uh, don't fall for everything you you hear. Is, is what I. Would I think say. there are parts of Whit Babcock's job that he doesn't like. I think he loves. Actually, you think he really likes the process. He might say he doesn't. But <laughs> I think I think he enjoys. It. He's good at it. He's, yeah. It's and the, he doesn't. And hire, he gets better and better as time goes. He on. doesn't hire a search firm because he likes to be. Uh, he doesn't like any leaks in, yeah. in the whole process. Yeah. So we, we named about 16 guys there, I want to say. <laughs> so if we want to go through the favorites, Clawson is kind of the guy Chris the, is leaning the, the towards. Con, the concern about Clawson is pot, potential buyout because he's got yes. he's got six or seven years left on his deal at Wake, yeah. wow. I think. I mean, And so you would assume at an ACC school that that's, a, that's an eight-figure buyout, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So th- that seems... I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Um, that, that that's up for the financial people. And they're, they're Tech private schools. So right, right, yes. right. So so we got Clawson, Dark Horses, Elko, mm-hmm. Texas A and M defensive coordinator for Will. Huff. You have Charles Huff as your your guy, and then your Dark Horse Jeff Grimes, offensive coordinator at Baylor. Right. And, I, and by sometime next week, I'm going to finish. I might I might skip my post game my uh, Miami article because I don't I don't think that matters <laughs> at this point. To be honest with you, I might spend my entire day Sunday. Like finishing my research on coaches, and I'm going to write an article that's going to be probably the longest article in TSL history <laughs> that, that, that lists I don't know maybe maybe like ten guys, and it's going to be have a lot of information about their past hires or not or their past schools, what they've done there. One of the greatest tools at our our at our disposal these days is people when you're trying to get to know someone's personality is YouTube. Yeah, I mean, go back and I've watched Charles Huff's introductory press conference and Q and A's, and I think his personality is great. Um, I've watched Dave Clawson's introductory press conference. I, I watched a forty-minute Q and A that he did with fans. His personality is great. Our fans don't think they would like him because he coaches at Wake Forest, but it's, they've actually never watched him in one of those settings. He would be awesome with our fans. You can learn so much about head coaches by just doing simple Google searches and YouTube searches and things like that. So I'm going to run, it's going to be a lot of information. It's going to be a lot of video links, uh, a lot of things like that with with, with a lot of candidates. Now I will say that people are throwing names out there that I don't consider to be candidates at all, that I'm not going to include. Like there's 0% chance I'm including Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze, Shane Beamer. uh, Yeah. um, Yeah. Shane Beamer's already said he's not coming. Shane Beamer, refuted that so hard that it would be awfully hard for him to come back from yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring quickly, too. I like Billy Napier. I think he's my number one. Dark Horse, I, I do like Will he- Will Healy. He's young, but I think he could be a Dark Horse there. Uh, so everybody watching, cross those six names off your list. They're not going to be the head not coach. Not going to happen. Uh, they'll be somebody else. Uh, <laughs> so you mentioned Miami. Let's talk about Miami quickly here at the end of episode 209 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Uh, Hurricanes playing a lot of close games lately. We talked about this a little on Monday, how – I believe their last seven games have all been one-score games. I think it's last their last six games, the biggest margin of victory for either team has been four points. Right. Sounds right. So all their games are going down to the wire. I think they were they were leading Florida State by, like, what, eight with, like, a minute or two left last yeah. week and somehow managed to lose the game. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it just it seems like this is going to be a close game. But who really knows because, as we talked about earlier, we don't know how – we don't know the psyche of the players on, on each team because of the situations at their respective schools right now. It's yeah. pretty much up in the air at this point. I'm surprised, Will, for your game pick, you didn't just do random number gen- generator. Yeah, again. I only pull that tool out like once a year. It, it worked out for you last week. It you, did. you tied I, David. I, you're tied with David. with David in the yep. staff picks. And actually, we'll get to game picks at the end, but you guys did pick differently, so there could be a changing of the guard at the top of the, <laughs> the standings at the end of this week. Uh, the quarterback for Miami, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, not a lot expected for Miami after De'Ara King went down, but he's actually developed well and, and at least been serviceable for this. I, I watched team. him uh, for whatever reason. La- last time we talked about him, I said his first game was against Appalachian State. It wasn't. It was against uh, UVA. And I watched him for the first half against UVA, and he was terrible. And then all of a sudden, like a light came on for him in the second half. And he's played pretty well since then. Um, he's not a great runner. Uh, except for like one touchdown run he had against UVA, but as we've discussed, that's a wretched defense up there. So uh, they don't they don't run the ball well at Miami. Like their top two running backs are true freshmen. Um, just don't run it for a high yards per carry. This is the first time in a while that that Virginia Tech is playing a team that doesn't run the football well. Yep. So that bodes well because you know Virginia Tech can't has struggled to stop the run. So uh, I like it from that matchup and. Miami's run defense has been bad. Uh, their tackling has been awful. If you think Virginia Tech's defense and their tackling has not been good, you have not watched Miami play yet. They're, they're, they're one of the worst tackling teams in college in football. In the country. Yes, yes, absolutely horrible. Now, so to me, and you know, you could say this any game, but who are, who are Virginia Tech's most likely tackle breakers on offense? I would say Raheem Blackshear, Tavion Robinson, and Trey Turner. They're the guys most likely to break tackles. So, to me, those are the three guys that have to touch the ball this week. Now, the thing is, like, if you, if you try to get it to Turner and Robinson too much, that means you're throwing the ball a lot, which means that's not your strength, right? But uh, So, I think this is one of those games where, you know, you have to make Miami pay for their weakness. You got your key playmakers, when they have their opportunity, have to make Miami miss tackles, which they've been doing all year. So, overall, it feels kind of – like a strain, a good matchup for Virginia Tech in a way. Seems to be bad fair run offense up. for Miami and bad run defense for Miami. It kind of plays into Tech's hands. I think so too. Uh, to me, like, like if nothing was going on in both programs as far as coaches and athletic directors getting fired and, and things like that, then uh, I would feel pretty comfortable in, in a Tech pick this week, to be honest with you. But uh, you just you just don't know how any of that stuff is going Yeah, we, we've been talking all year how random this game can be to pick, and it's even uh, more random. Well, what, all right, now here's what concerns me. You know, Virginia Tech's offense was horrible earlier this year when Justin Fuente was with the scout team, right? Then he goes over and spends more time with the offense, and all of a sudden they're putting up 400 and 500-yard games and scoring a bunch of points, with the exception of Boston College when they lost Burmeister. 
Now Fuente is gone. He's not going to be spending more time with the offense this and week. He was it's, going Tuesday morning. morning. He was gone Tuesday morning. He's going to be gone all week. You know, so uh, now it's back to Cornelson, complete control. So do they go back to pre-Syracuse levels? I, I mean, if this goes poorly, <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, there's a there's a large contingent on Twitter that is already really not fans of Brad Cornelson. On Saturday <laughs> it goes poorly. It's it's gonna. But what does it matter? What does it matter? Well, Virginia Tech five and five needs one of their last two to gain bowl eligibility. And again, just to throw it out there, there is still a scenario where Virginia Tech goes to the ACC Wins championship the game. That's right. I will lay it out for you. What needs to happen? Virginia needs to beat Pitt this weekend. Virginia Tech needs to beat Miami. Then Pitt loses their final game, which I want to say is against Louisville. Possibly, I can't remember who it is. Sir, could be. I think it is. It's Syracuse. at Syracuse. It is That's at right. Syracuse yeah. in the dome. Which again, anything can happen. We know the Carrier Dome. We and then Virginia there. Tech beats Virginia in the end. So Virginia Tech wins out. Pitt loses out with a loss to Virginia this weekend. That is the way for Virginia Tech to win the Coastal. ACC Network has them at a 0.3% chance uh, of telling me there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into game picks. Uh, Obviously, the story of this week, not about the game, uh, but you guys did put your picks in the preview, which, again, is already up on techsideline.com. Chris, we'll start with you. I'm picking Tech. It's kind of a coin flip game for me. I forget the final score. 30 to 27. 27. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I just think it would seem... There's two ways to look at it. Like, I do worry about Tech's offense without Justin Fuente with them throughout the week. The other way to look at it is it'd just be so Miami to go out there and lose to a coachless Virginia Tech team, wouldn't it? And look bad doing it. Yeah, you're right. So, yep. um, I'm just going to pick Tech. So, I've, I've got we'll Tech uh, 34-31. So, so Malcolm, is, as, as we drill down into David's pick, can you pull up the game preview on the web browser and get ready to show it over the video? Because we want to see how the fans are picking. Um, yes. So I got Virginia Tech 34, Miami 31. And Jake, what does David have? So David, he is the only one picking Miami this week in a tight one, 33-31. He does say at the very end, don't count out J.C. Price and the Hokies, though. So David, the only one on Miami this week. Very interesting. Could shake up the standings. Uh, I believe we're going to bring it up. But uh, right now, Will and David are tied at 6-4. and four. Chris, a game back at 5-5. Five and five. Uh, the random oh. number generator really got uh, Will in control here. Now you can see so, it on so the screen. So scroll up there a little bit, Malcolm, to the uh, to the poll and click View Results. And so we've got uh, I think 599. 39 percent are saying the Hokies are going to win by one to ten. So uh, now there's another 32 percent that say Miami's going to win by one to ten. <laughs> And so, actually, um, oh wait, no, it's it's fifty one percent says the Hokies going to win, forty nine percent says Miami. Yeah, so it's pretty point. split. So the fans so, are really yeah, split. Yeah, two teams that are five and five overall, and three and three in the ACC. Split opinions for two what seems like pretty even teams. David's saying that his is a toss up here, and again, I do want to mention Will used a random number generator to tie the lead last week. Uh, <laughs> see, now was, see, I'm the only one that does this honest every week. Dave, <laughs> David, do you do you, re, do you read our predictions before you write yours? Not usually. Not usually? Okay, Not okay, usually. good. Because yeah. okay, so okay. here's a here's so you don't read our predictions before you make your prediction. Okay, so the humor of it is, it's a good thing these game previews are free. Because the fans are seven and three on yes. the year, and David and I are six and four, and Chris is five and five. So, yeah. well, and, and interestingly enough, this is the first time 
that the fans have gotten it right on who wins, but wrong on the spread. Yeah, for they, every other time, yeah. they've been right on one to ten or eleven plus too. Yeah. Uh, so and so, what Jake means by that is the fans the fans said that uh, Virginia Tech would beat Duke by one to ten points, and it actually wound up being thirty one. Yeah. And, and that was separated by just eleven votes, three hundred and seventy two votes Hokies by one to ten, three hundred and sixty one Duke by one to ten. So a very close one. Wow, man. With over a thousand voters, so an eleven point split there. I, I did not have an appreciation of how really bad Duke is. Yeah, man. I didn't I knew they fully were grasp it either. They're, they're <laughs> just they're like their defenders just kind of like run, run around and they have no idea where to go. So Kishon King's touchdown, you know, they, 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 the Duke guy had him at like the fifteen or twenty yard line and just yep played patty cake on his back <laughs> and fell down. Yeah, you know, and that was kind of them the whole game. Well, since it may be more interesting than the actual game on the field, it is a battle. Will versus David this week. Miami wins. I believe David pretty much clinches the season title for game picks. Uh, but Will could take his first lead of the season. If, and I have a 0.3% chance. He has a 0.3% chance. If, if Chris wins out at this point and we, gets some help. We might have to figure out a tiebreaker here. We need like a trophy to, that we can bring on set for the winner. Well, tiebreaker will be points differential in game predictions, I would say. Okay. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. We'll have somebody calculate that. All right. Uh, let's check in with the YouTube chat. I'm sure there's plenty of questions in there. Katie, what we got today? All right. Bear with me while I ask this question. It's from Justin Thomas about coaching. What is preferred? A clean house and start from scratch, hire from within and bolster, or hire out but retain some of the current staff so we don't lose too many players and recruits? I, I think I would go with the last option. Um you know, not not to make it sound like this is what you should do this day and age, but I, I do remember when Frank started here, he kept uh, one guy, Billy, Billy Height, Height, off of Bill Dooley's staff, and and that turned out to be a, a valuable thing to do. Um, it part of it might have to do with who are you bringing in from the outside? Like, uh, let's say they do hire Jeff Grimes. Jeff Grimes is a little familiar with Virginia Tech. If you hire, you know, like Frank was coming in and he had played at Virginia Tech, but it was important to him to have a guy to hold over from the staff to kind of help with the transition. And so um, that doesn't mean that I think the next guy should come in and keep Justin Hamilton, JC Price, Jack Tyler, all of them, all of yeah. them. But I think there is something to be said for, um, and, and I think that question was asked of Wit yesterday, you know, are you going to, I don't remember exactly how the question was phrased. Maybe David does, but it was kind of like, do you see, any of your current staff remaining on the new staff. And Witt's answer was the correct answer. Um, I can recommend to the new guy that he interview guys who are already on staff, but I'm not necessarily going to make that decision for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah ab absolutely. Um, so where do, you, where do you stand on it, Chris? I, I'm open to certain members of the current staff remaining. Um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I like Adam Lechtenberg. I think he's done a great job recruiting and as an evaluator. And, I mean, look – like one Adam Lechtenberg recruit has seen the field as a running back, and he's already better than any running back that Zon Burden recruited, right? Um, Malachi Thomas. Malachi Thomas. So uh, I, I I like him. I like Vance Vice. I like James Shebus. Tech's tight ends develop, and their tech is always you know a good solid special teams unit. Um, defensive side of the ball, I really like Ryan Smith um, as a coach and a recruiter. Mm -hmm. um, I like Jay Ham. I like J.C. Price, uh, and I've heard great things about Jack Tyler as a recruiter as well. Like, so I'm open to keeping any of those guys. But at the same time, I really don't want the next coach to retain like six guys from a staff that just got fired. Yeah. So I, I, 
I don't want I don't want to sit here and say, oh man, I want him to clean house and fire everybody. But but I I do think he needs to make his own impact, and for the most part, bring bring in new guys. I will say my number one choice out of all assistant coaches to retain is Ryan Smith. Okay, interesting. And quickly before we get to another question, I want to touch on recruiting here. We've already seen a few of Virginia Tech commits posted they've gotten offers from other power five schools how important is it going to be once you get that guy hired to go out and try and retain some of this class some of the big names gunner givens ramon brown alex orgy yeah uh certainly uh i think look you shouldn't make your coaching decision based on like one recruiting class that's how you get yourself in trouble long term um but yeah i mean i think tech i think tech I think this is a good class for Tech. I'm not just saying that because it's ranked 22nd or 25th in the country. Fourth or in the ACC. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I think Justin Fuente has improved his staff in terms of evaluations and closing over the last two years. And I think we're reaping the benefits this year. I, I, I like a lot of their strategies and their new strategies in, in recruiting. I wish those strategies and hires had been done early in his tenure, or we might be having a different conversation today. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I do like this class. Um, so I want to keep as many of them as possible for sure. And in case you missed it, Witt did address this during the press conference. He said some of the work they're going to be doing in the coming days will be calling each of the committed recruits. Witt to and talk JC to are having Zoom conversations today with committed yeah. recruits so no fear it's not like their their commits are being ignored that's not yeah. how yeah. it works and those guys are going to get offers and look some of them are going to get offers anyway yeah yeah uh, like that that offensive lineman they've got committed from south carolina i forget his name but i think he's a great prospect yeah and i'm actually shocked that he hasn't already picked up a bunch a bunch of offers like i believe tech actually beat out south carolina for him if i if i remember correctly and he's a south carolina uh recruit so uh, yeah, those guys are going to pick up offers, but I think they were going to pick off, pick offers, up offers anyway. Yeah. The signing day is not till December fifteenth. Look, if a, if a guy decommits tomorrow, don't worry about it because you got he's young and he doesn't know what he's doing, and you've got a month to get him back yep. if the next coach wants him. So it's, yeah. it's not going to keep me up at nights. All right, John Joyce asks: Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to think Fuente was never going to be successful? Didn't get his own defensive coordinator, strength and conditioning, and had a limited budget for hires. Seems like we didn't set him up for success. In retrospect, it does look that way. Yeah. 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 Um, um, I I mean, I wrote yesterday that, and Wit Wit said this in his press conference, and it's he'd actually said it after. I, I I didn't watch his press conference live. I finished my article and and then I watched it, and I, I actually liked that he basically almost word for word said what I said in my article. He said, we all failed. And I called it a group effort in my article. Um, Justin Fuente made mistakes and the people around Justin Fuente made mistakes. Yep. And, and and I think that's a learning lesson for, for, for everybody. It's really, so I thought about this earlier in the podcast. Uh, we were talking about, you know, 2015. And uh, I really became aware of what other programs were doing to staff up. Mm-hmm. In late 2015, early 2016, uh, it was after Alabama and Clemson played in the national championship game, and articles came out about the staffs that they had at those two schools, and that they weren't just $50,000 a year guys. They had former head coaches and things like that. And and I, I did a little research, and, and at that time, Alabama listed something like 32 guys, support staff, and uh, Clemson listed 29 and Virginia Tech listed a small number like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. you know, and they were apples and oranges. For for example, Clemson had Brad Scott, who used to be head coach at South Carolina, 
and Virginia Tech didn't have a Brad Scott type. Yeah. So it was that time frame at which I was only starting to become aware of what Nick Saban had already started doing in the late 2000s with this huge staffing model. So it's it's such it's only been six years, but the landscape is incredibly different, and and the people at Virginia Tech know that they know so much more now than yeah. they knew back then. I, I and there, there is alignment at the university. There's an understanding by the athletic director. All this, and, and then this is why I want an associate athletic director for football who's worked somewhere else. And I know John Blaine is technically in that role, but you know he only ever worked for Frank Beamer, right? I, I want someone with experience at other programs who can come in and add different perspectives on things. Look, I think we always need a, a Virginia Tech presence in our athletic department and on our football staff and everything like that. I mean, that, that's very popular with the fans and everything like that. There have to be enough people over there in the operation to understand the culture and what works here. But you can't go forever without getting outside perspectives and, and understanding what other people are doing and maybe how you can mesh that with what you do well to become a better program. So, I, like I said, I, I would – I would love to have like a a, fo- a new football administrator, kind of a guy who the just de- CEO who de- at Coastal who, Carolina, yes, like. uh, who dedicates himself full time to football. I mean, like John Bolin has other jobs in the athletic department. There's no way he yeah. could dedicate himself full time to, to it, even if he wanted to. So uh, it's not it's not just a, a a head new head coach that Virginia Tech needs. Like I'm going to be paying just as much attention to the assistants the head coach hires. I'm going to be paying close attention to the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, that he hires, and, and I'm going to be paying close attention to whatever administrative moves may get made between now and next August to accompany all this. Uh, I think it's all equally important. All right, let's get one more from Katie if there's any good ones in there. Scott Glessner asks, how do you see the players' attitudes in the last two games, unchanged, going all out, ho-hum? You know, for the most part, they've played hard this year. Yeah, they have. You yeah. know, uh, the I think the Boston College game was was pretty deflating for the whole team, but Fuente always comes out and praises the effort of his teams after the game, and, and I, I don't think the effort was bad against Boston College. I just don't think it's that's it's tough to win without Burmeister. There's just not the much you could do in that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's gonna. I hope it's gonna be about the same. You know, I, I can't see them playing a whole lot harder than they've been playing this year in, in general. Uh I don't. It's a guess. You could flip a three-sided coin, man. I mean, I, I, you could say the same thing for the Miami players. Yeah. You don't know if the Miami bit players will be out on South Beach the night before. For goodness' sake. So you still you don't know what's going to happen down there. Uh, Since it's I, a night game, I guess they have time to sleep. They do. The next day. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Sleep uh, it off in the morning. Yeah. Um, I'm inclined to believe Tech will play hard. Um, you know, they they might have had a tough day yesterday. Um, because just dealing with the emotions of it, like, okay, you get told by the athletic director that your coach is fired, and then you immediately go to position meetings and then to practice. Like, I, I can tell you that for me, it was weird waking up this morning, and, and we've spent six years talking about Justin Fuente, and we're not really going to talk about him anymore. It, there, there is a void there. Whether you like the guy or not, mm-hmm. it leaves a void. You know, and, and I'm not sure how to process that. Yeah, um, I I didn't feel really weird because it's one of those things like I've been expecting a change for a month now or more than a month, so yeah. I've had time to process it. Um, so I wasn't I didn't feel any emotions yesterday because I've had time to process it. The players haven't had much time to process it, but at, you know, twenty four here we are over twenty four hours later. They they probably had time to process it. Now they've been able to talk to all their assistant, you know, all of their positional coaches, talk to J.C. Price, uh, 
I'm inclined to believe they'll, they'll go out and play play with uh, with good effort on Saturday. The players' day to day doesn't change a whole lot. You know, they still got to go work with their assistant coaches. Still got to go through drills. So a lot of the um, um, routine is still there. yes. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who asked questions in the chat today. Thank you, Katie, for bringing those to us. Before we get out of here, want to talk basketball? Just one thing: a big win over Radford uh, on Monday. Slow start, but they pulled away, and, and kind of the takeaway was uh, the Justin Mutz alley-oop dunk from Storm Murphy <laughs> ended up being number one on SportsCenter. Uh, yeah. Evan Hughes making the call on that one. Are we going to bring it up? And, and here we go. Yeah, our, our new feature today. Yeah, we're so advanced. <laughs> Voop, the nutmeg. And and I talked about that in our last don't. podcast, how I'd watched highlights of him at Wofford and saw him nutmeg some dude. Please, please don't ask us to explain what a nutmeg is. It's, in so- it it's, 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 a, it's a soccer term. Yeah. And, uh, come I on, I, come on! I know he knows. I, Some people don't. I, I and I know why <laughs> one of those syllables is what it is. <laughs> and I believe Mike Young, after the game, said if that had not gone well, uh, Mike Young's head would have spun around. Oh yeah, I heard him say that on the post game radio yeah. interview. Yeah, and, um, and Mike was not happy with the offensive effort in general, and the team agreed. I, I, I thought. I think. In seven of our eight, no, no, uh, five of our six halves of basketball this year, we've had really good offensive performances, but that first half against Radford was not a good offensive performance. But no. five out of six ain't bad. I think we got like, – t- the good thing about Tech is, like, uh, even when things weren't going well offensively for them in the first half, they really did stay engaged defensively. Um, yeah. I'd like to see Aline get out of his slump. Um, it's not just, it's not like it's a shooting slump for him. Yes, he's not shooting well, but he's not shooting well because his shot selection is bad right now. He's forcing things too early yep. in the shot clock and, uh, the ball movement from him is not great. And he, he to me, he, he appears to be a catch and shoot guy he, he, when he, he gets away from that. He had a similar stretch last year where he struggled and, and then he goes out against Florida in the NCAA tournament and drops 30 on him. Yeah. So, uh, he's very capable. You just got to get him a, a little more consistent. And Justin Mutz, as you saw there, he is a highlight machine. I believe that's four highlight dunks he's had in three games already. So, in case you missed it, he was standing at the at, at when Radford was shooting free throws in the second half. Mutz was standing there, starting the "Let's Go Hokies" <laughs> chant with the students. There is film of him yelling "Let's Go" and the students yelling "Hokies" and him yelling "Let's Go" as they're waiting for a Radford player to shoot a free throw. And there's just not enough of that in college it's, sports. It's man. so ba- sad that wasn't an ACC game because we got would have gotten free bacon in the second half. Yes, that yeah. guy missed back. He to missed back, back to back free throws. Yeah. Uh, Tech now three and zero again. Radford, kind of, Tech kind of got lucky with the poor performance in the first half. Radford ended up shooting two of twenty four from three point range and eighteen turnovers. Radford in that is so, a big so, strong team that can't shoot. Now listen though, this is three games in a row where Virginia Tech's opponent has not been able to make three pointers. Right. Is it is it a coincidence or is, uh, yeah, it, or is it an actual? The question is: it them or is it Virginia Tech doing something? I, I was I was impressed with how Virginia Tech got through screens and closed out on shooters against Navy. Yeah. So I, I think it's just as much. Uh, and the Navy coach Virginia said Tech it was it was them it, it, yeah. giving credit to Virginia Tech. Well, and two more games at Castle Coliseum for Virginia Tech this week. Tomorrow against St. Francis, who just lost by, I believe, 50 to West Virginia last night. Uh, And then Sunday against Merrimack before a week from today. Preseason NIT in Brooklyn against the Memphis Tigers, who got a big win over uh, St. Louis last night. What time is that game? Is that a night game? I believe it is a night game. I want to say 7.30. Okay. Um, and then a lot going on in Virginia Tech athletics as well. You got women's game tonight and another one this weekend. Uh, men's soccer NCAA tournament game tomorrow at home against Campbell. 
Then women's play Arkansas on Friday at 7.30 on the road. Also wrestling starting Friday and Saturday with Ohio State and Gardner-Webb. So tons going on in Blacksburg, outside of Blacksburg over the next couple of days. Have fun, Mr. Managing Editor David Cunningham. <laughs> That's right. He's the hardest working man I know. The uh, Memphis game is 9.30 uh, at 9:30. night. 9.30. Okay. Yeah, so David will be in Miami covering the football game. We've got Chris Hirons with an Olympic sports article focused on the two soccer teams coming out. Uh, he'll be covering both women's basketball games this week. I'm sure, David, will you be covering both the basketball games as well? So David's got men's basketball. And what else is coming up on TechSideline.com? Uh, I've got a group of our of our writers uh, all giving them, you know, brief, probably like one-page thoughts on what on traits and char- characteristics we're looking for for the next football coach. That's coming out tomorrow. Okay. Um, sure we'll have probably a Q&A on Friday and I hope early next week to release my article like the big long blurb on on coaching research yep. and with information and everything. It's like a race that. man you better beat wit to it. You better get that I, out. I don't think I, I don't think anything will get announced during, yeah. during uh, that, that quickly. I, I think Chris will win win the race. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot to mention Jack Brizendine also will have wrestling coverage this weekend as well. Wow. Uh, yep. As the wrestling starts on Friday, is it what seven versus nine? I want to say Virginia Tech seven, Ohio State ninth in the country. Nice. D- David, are you going to go to the beach on Saturday morning? You you should exactly. Yep. <laughs> Got to go wake, wake up some of the Miami uh, football players. <laughs> Get them off the beach and tell them they need to go play a football game. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 209 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Long one, almost an hour and 45 minutes. But wow. uh, we knew this podcast was coming again just a little bit earlier than we thought. But Justin Fuente no longer with the Virginia Tech football program. And I'm sure we'll have many more podcasts over the next few weeks talking about who could replace him. And when that announcement comes, uh, we will have all your coverage on Tech Sideline. want to thank everybody on set. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com, at Will Stewart, TSL on Twitter. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist at TechSideline.com. He's at Chris Coleman, TSL on Twitter. Make sure to follow him. Uh, a lot of t- tech or tweets yesterday about the, the coaching uh, stuff. So Yeah, I'm not going to do that too much more. <laughs> well, still, definitely a good follow on Twitter if you want to keep up to date on what's going on. In the fourth chair today, Katie Adams, she did a great job with the questions and also her segment in the middle. At, she's, she's late for class or whatever she, comes next. She is. <laughs> she's already packing uh, up. Yes, this, yeah. is, this has been one of the longer ones. She's at Katie6Adams on Twitter if you want to follow her. Malcolm Stewart always does a great job behind the scenes and getting our picture-in-picture stuff working today, so uh, a great job there. And I'm your host, Jake Lyman, signing off. Enjoy the weekend of great Hokie sports Hokies fans. We'll see you next time.